So far on this season, we have talked about how to be more prepared and resilient in terms of growing your own meat and milk and eggs and vegetables. But what about the things that you can't grow yourself on your homestead or in your backyard? What do you do about those? Well, keeping a well-stocked pantry and buying in bulk is a major key to your family's food security. So I am thrilled to have Jessica from Three Rivers Homestead joining me today to talk about this very topic. Jessica is a homesteading and homeschooling mother of seven, living in northwestern Ohio, where she gardens, keeps bees, and raises poultry and beef to feed her large family. Raising and preserving homegrown food and cooking from scratch are very important to her as her family navigates many challenges, including anaphylactic food allergies and autoimmune autoimmune issues. So this is a really big deal for Jessica and her family. She documents her journey on Instagram and YouTube over at Three Rivers Homestead, and she is an expert when it comes to keeping a well-stocked homestead pantry. I thoroughly enjoyed this interview, and I know you will too, so let's dive in. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Hey, Jessica, welcome to the Old Fashioned on Purpose podcast. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Me too. So um, just a little bit of a backstory. I had asked on my Instagram I said, you know, we're talking about this season being more self-reliant and be more prepared. And I'm like, I need an expert on bulk food storage. Who do I have on the podcast? And your name came up like a bazillion times. So, <laughs> um, your reputation precedes you for sure. Well, I have a lot of mouths to feed here. So we keep yeah. a lot of food in storage. <laughs> yes, that's fabulous. So um, before we get into all the, the juicy questions, can you just give us, give the listeners a bit of a backstory on you and your family and your homestead? Okay. Well, um, I live here in Northwestern Ohio. Uh, we're a family of nine. We have seven children uh, ranging in age from 13 all the way down to nine months. Uh, my oldest son has anaphylactic food allergies to dairy and peanuts. So that makes mm -hmm. um, feeding him quite a challenge. We can't eat at restaurants. We can't eat most processed foods. And so that's what sort of prompted us to start homesteading. Um, after spending a year or two after he got his diagnosis, um, purchasing a lot of the allergy-free foods and things, we re quickly realized that would be too expensive to go that route with a large family. So we began looking into growing our own food. And so we um, started a homestead. You know, We started with gardens and chickens and that sort of grew to um, growing more of our own meat and bees and things like that. And then obviously uh, we had to look into the things we couldn't grow. And that's where the bulk food storage comes in. We briefly tried to grow grains and, and quickly realized <laughs> we don't have the equipment nor the time nor the space to, to do that efficiently. 
And so we do a lot of bulk uh, food buying for that. And so that's sort of where we're at. <laughs> so, I, I mean, the, so your the size of your family obviously was just a natural prompt to get you into bulk buying. Um, do you stock up kind of in like a preparedness sense as well? Or is it just like, hey, we're going to get the best prices for what we're eating on a regular basis? Or what is your kind of philosophy on that? Yes, we, you know, I view food storage in two areas. There's our long-term food storage where you want, you want to have stuff on hand in case an emergency happened, you know, a, a job loss, some kind of catastrophe, things like food shortages that we saw last year happening. Yeah. And so that's one component of my bulk food buying is making sure we have that on hand, but also just with a large family, you need to have bulk food in the working pantry as well to kind of work through. So yeah, the, you know. Those are both components of my food storage. Absolutely. So what would you say? And I know there's, there's such, this is such a wide topic because we can do everything when we, when people talk about food storage, we have people doing like the MREs, the meal mm -hmm. ready to eat, kind of the military stuff. You have people doing the freeze dried stuff. You have people canning. Um, and I've talked a little bit about some of those topics on the podcast before, not the MRE, like crazy mm -hmm. survival stuff, but more just like the canning and that sort of um, idea of the food storage. But the one I really am interested in today is just like the, the dry goods. Cause whenever mm -hmm. I talk about this to my audience, there's so many questions, you know, about how do we store the, the grains and the dry goods or what should a bulk pantry look like? Um, so what are the, the dry goods that you just consider essential for your homestead pantry? Okay. So for our family, obviously, um, grains, you know, we focus on storing the things that we can't grow ourselves. And so, you know, when you're looking at wheat berries, um, corn, dried corn, and a lot of these things like that, you, you want to get the, the whole corn, the whole wheat berry, and then you'll purchase, you know, a grain mill to, to help you with that. It's much easier to purchase the whole item and then you can use it in multi- ways. You know, if you have whole corn, you can turn it into corn flour. You can turn it into corn meal. You can add lime to it and make your own corn flour for tortillas. You don't have to store all of those items individually. So, um, so yes, the wheat berries, the corn, your oats, um, would be essential. You, uh, rice obviously. And when you're talking about food storage with rice, you're going to want, um, white rice, like Jasmine rice, brown rice doesn't store very well. So, um, so those kinds of grains are the essential. And then you're going to want to look into salt, obviously, is very important to have um, some kind of sweetener. So sugar or honey or maple syrup, molasses, those kinds of things. Um, and then your baking supplies, you know, you're going to want yeast and other leavening agents like baking powder um, and baking soda, things like that. And then protein sources, if you're unable to grow your own protein on your homestead, uh, you're going to want to look into having things like lentils in your dried food storage or beans, other plant-based protein sources are important as well. But I'd say that is the, those are the basics that if you want to have a functioning pantry to work from and create just about any meal, if you have those items. Oh, I would add to that yeast. <laughs> if you're not into sourdough baking and, um, you know, making breads that way, having yeast on hand in your pantry would also be helpful. But, yeah, you can make just about anything with those items. Yeah. And that's what I love about just the versatility of, of getting better at storing because, you know, in our modern food culture, it's all about like the, the specialized food, you know, you got to have the cream of mushroom soup and then you have to have the macaroni and cheese boxes and the ramen noodles. And if you just get back to the basics and the whole foods, yes. you don't have to have all that stuff. You just keep yes. the simple pieces and the components. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about our, our ancestors, you know, they didn't keep pasta and, you know, separate bread flours and separate flour all on hand. They had their wheat berries and they kept that in storage. And then when they needed to make their bread, they ground it down. If they needed to make, you know, pancakes or pasta or whatever, they just start with the most simple ingredients and, and work from there. Okay. So just a little rabbit trail here on when I hear you talk about wheat berries, um, what do you have a favorite variety of wheat berries? Cause people have a lot of questions when we start talking about whole wheat. So I know some Definitely. people are going to be wondering that. Definitely. So I always tell people, if you have one wheat berry that you're going to keep, you know, you only have room to store one kind of wheat berry. I would go with a hard wheat. Hard wheat berries are the type that you're going to use to make bread because they have a higher gluten content. So, um, you can't make bread very well from a soft wheat berry. But soft wheat berries are for making things like cakes and pastries and biscuits, things like that. You can make those things from a hard wheat berry. It just might not have the the fluffiest texture. (laughs) Um, So I guess if I can only choose one, I would go with the hard wheat berries. A hard red wheat is usually what I I like to use. Um, Then if you had room to store two types of wheat berries, you could go with a soft white wheat and that could be used uh, for those cakes and pastries and, and other kinds of things. Definitely. Okay. Yep. That was kind of the same train of thought I had, but just curious if, okay. yeah. if we were on the same page. <laughs> we definitely are on that. And there's lots of different, I mean, yeah. people I think get overwhelmed because there are so many different varieties. There's yeah. like the semolina and there's the pasta ones and there's the cake wheats and the, and it, yeah. So I agree. The hard, hard wheat is what I usually keep the most of. Almost yeah. It's hard, hard white yep. or hard red. Yeah. You know, and for us, space is limited. I can't, I don't have storage for 10 different types of wheat berries. So I just keep it simple and um, you can have great results with your baking using, you know, just simple varieties. <laughs> yes. So speaking of kind of space or how you store, can you give us just a, a rundown of your storage location or where in your home are you putting all of this stuff? Right. So um, we currently do not have a root cellar. A root cellar would be ideal. You know, for food storage, ideally, you want to have a place that's dry that is dark, that's cool, um, ideally somewhere between 40 to 70 degrees um, consistently. And you want to have, in terms of storage, you want to have containers that are going to limit the amount of oxygen. So those are the four things that, that matter. We don't currently have a space that meets all of our light and moisture and temperature needs. So what we have to do is use um, closets in our house. And that works great because um, we heat only using a wood stove. Our house stays fairly cool throughout the, the year. And so it's dark in there. Any bulk items are stored in five gallon buckets in the closets and that works just fine. You don't need anything fancy to do long-term uh, food storage while a uh, root cellar would solve a lot of our space issues. It isn't, <laughs> it isn't necessary. Um, but most of my food storage, I keep in my actual kitchen. I have shelving in my kitchen Um, with the buckets lined up because mine is really a working pantry that helps me cycle through things and keeps them from going bad. So, um, so yeah, there's, like I said, I I divide my food storage into two areas. There's the long-term stuff that's going to be hidden away (laughs) to try to keep it as dark and cool as possible. And then there's the stuff that's part of that, that we're actually using and working through and that's kept in our kitchen. So, yeah. 
I think it's really reassuring to hear you say, I mean, for a lot of folks that you don't have like some magical dedicated room in your house where all you have this amazing lineup of food, because I, I have a lot of folks come and go, they're like, I want to stock up. I want to be more prepared, but I don't have a basement. I don't have a root cellar. So just to hear you say, you know, you're feeding nine people and you're using closets to store it. That's just really nice to hear. Oh <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. I mean, anywhere there's space, our extra canning jars um, go under beds, <laughs> yep, get yep. stocked up anywhere. There's there's an, an extra spot space that will keep it out of the sunlight and keep it relatively cool. So yeah, yeah you don't need anything fancy. <laughs> yeah. And definitely that's a benefit of what heat is. You can control a little bit of what is cool and what is not. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, in terms of containers, if you wanted to talk about that, you know, what's, what's ideal. Um, Like I said, I like to use the five gallon buckets for my long-term food storage. If it's something that I know I'm not going to touch within a year, or I'm not going to cycle through within a year, I put um, Mylar bags. Okay. I dump the food into Mylar bags and put in an oxygen absorber. And then I seal that up in the five gallon bucket. Um, but if it's something that I'm just putting in my pantry that I'm going to be opening regularly, you know, once a week to pull out a scoop of rice or to pull out a scoop of oats, that just goes directly in the five gallon bucket, a food grade five gallon bucket. Um, or if it's in a smaller quantity, like a five or a 10 pound quantity of an item, I just use glass gallon size jars and that works great. So, Where's your favorite place to get your food grade buckets? Um, well, if I'm going to purchase them, any, any old hardware store works, um, Lowe's, you know, Menards, Home Depot, places like that have food grade buckets. But, um, if you want to get a little more thrifty, sometimes restaurants will even have five gallon buckets or three gallon buckets. You know, bakeries sometimes have food grade, um, icing containers that are large size that you can go and ask them if they have any, they're willing to, to give you when, and half the time they're very happy to, to get rid of them because they have an abundance of them uh, piling up that need a, a home. Um, so yeah. And then in terms of lids, I prefer on my five gallon buckets to use gamma lids. They're a special lid that makes it really easy. I, you know, I have kids working in my kitchen, helping me cook. And if you're trying to pry off a five gallon bucket lid, it can be very difficult for a little one, but the gamma lids, um, they can get them off. No problem. And I find that Amazon sometimes has good deals on those. Um, I've seen them at the local hardware stores, but they're sometimes a little pricey there, but even some bulk food buying places where you get your actual food will have those as an option. And I've found great deals like through Azure standard on mm-hmm. the gamma lids, um, and places like that. But yeah. Okay. Um, could you go into a little bit deeper, the, the oxygen absorbers in Mylar bags? Cause I feel like this gets really intimidating to people and mm-hmm, they're kind definitely. of like, where do I get them? And what, I don't know, how do I use them? And what if I want to open it, you know, sooner versus later, is that going to mess it up? So a little more info on that, I think would be helpful to a lot of folks. Okay. So like I said, oxygen is one of the four main things that, that are going to affect the long-term storage of your food items. So if it's a, a food item that you're planning on opening the bucket, on a regular basis, you're going to be, you have your five gallon bucket of rice. You're going to be getting into it every week or every other week to make meals. You don't need to worry about an oxygen absorber. You're going to obviously be putting oxygen into that bucket regularly anyways. But if it's long-term food storage that you're not going to be touching for a year or more at a time, having that oxygen absorber in there is really important. It's going to um, extend the shelf life of that food tremendously. You're going to go from um, rice, for example, that isn't 
um, in an oxygen safe environment is going to go bad within a year or two. But if you put it with an oxygen absorber, it can last eight to 10 years. So, you know, it really, really extends that, that shelf life now, but the oxygen absorber can't be put directly into a plastic five gallon bucket because plastic tends to leach oxygen through it. And so it will actually, um, begin to compress the five gallon bucket and and cause storage issues. So you always want to put the food in a Mylar bag before you, uh, with the oxygen absorber inside the Mylar bag, before you seal it up and store it. And that will, I guess, prevent those issues. And like I said, you don't need to worry about oxygen absorbers if, if it's food that you're going to be regularly using. I mean, half the time I don't, like I said, I don't use it unless it's something I'm putting in a, in a closet and I'm not going to touch it for over a year. Sure. And I did not realize that, that it would bring the oxygen through the plastic bucket. Like I had yes. no idea. <laughs> yeah. It'll, it can actually, co- you know, compress the, um, the bucket. Whoa. Yeah. yeah not great. <laughs> not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any tricks for cycling through what you have, you know, maybe you're in your closet stash versus your kitchen stash and like how, you know, kind of your triggers when you know you need to buy more or replenish the, the supply? Yes. So, um, I always encourage people to, you know, set a time during the year when they're very busy, um, or I guess when they're not busy (laughs) and they don't want to bother themselves with, um, going to the grocery store and, um, dealing with buying food for us. What I like to do is at the end of the fall, once harvest season's over, we've canned all the food, you know, those freezers are stocked. Um, I like to assess everything that we have in the house and um, start going through some of these bulk grains and using them up. And so I do um, a shop my pantry challenge where I'm just going to eat out of my pantry. I typically do that the months of December, January, and February. Um, And during those times, I eat nothing but what is in our food storage. And I know that sounds crazy, (laughs) but if you have built up um, a very stocked pantry, you're, you're not going to want for anything during that time. You've got everything you need there. And, um, and yeah, so I just encourage people to pick a time of the year to intentionally use up all of this food storage, because while it's great to have 50 pound bags of grains in, in storage, it really does, you no good if it's just going to sit there and eventually go bad right. <laughs> and you're going to have to throw it away. And so intentionally using it throughout the year will keep you, you know, we'll keep it fresh. You'll use it up and then replenish it and put the the new stuff in the closet. And yeah, that's, I guess what I encourage people to do. Yeah. I like, I like to shop the pantry challenge and I've seen those floating around over the years and I'm always like, we need to do that. And then I just haven't ever implemented it, but I think it's a really, it's a great idea. Cause sometimes I think we get, even when we're not stocking up in bulk, we just, our pantries get full. Like Americans have this problem a lot, not all of us, but some of us of which we have too much food sometimes, or we, we don't know what we have or we lose track or our pantries are overflowing with stuff that's random. So just getting creative and kind of forcing ourselves to use up what we have, um, I think is always a good idea and teaches you how to cook a little differently or get outside of your ruts in the kitchen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we save we save money when we shop the pantry, obviously we, you'd be amazed at how creative we have to get with, with recipes and things. Um, you know, sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to buy a, a 50 pound bag of sorghum <laughs> just so I have it, but why, <laughs> what am I going to do with it? And so you have to, you know, look up recipes and ways to use it. And, and then sometimes 
through that process, we find recipes that we love and then they become a, a part of our, our normal meal rotation. But um, yeah, it helps you use up the odds and ends in the back that are close to spoiling and um, and it teaches you what you don't need to buy 50 pounds exactly, <laughs> of in yeah. the future. Yeah. <laughs> I have made that mistake before. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. never again, well, never again. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. It's like a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to buy all these 50 pound bags of grains for in an emergency situation. We'll eat off that. And that's great. But if you're, you know, if you don't really want to eat off it now, you don't want to be miserable in that, in that situation that you're forced to eat off that stuff. No one wants to just eat beans and rice for a month straight. So you've got to teach yourself how to use the bulk grains and the food storage that you have. And so having a set time each year where you really focus on honing in on those skills and, and learning to bake with, with those things. I don't know. It's helpful for us. Absolutely. And that's why I love this, this season on the podcast, we're really just talking about like kind of everyday self-reliance because Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much when we get into the hardcore prepping mindset, like people, not that that it's wrong, but we Mm -hmm. sometimes buy things like only to be used in the case of an emergency. And I'm like, what what can we put into place now that increases our quality of life, that improves Mm -hmm. our health, but also helps us be more prepared. And that's the, the perfect example that you're teaching yourself how to use these foods. You use them anyway, it's saving you money but you're also going to be prepared. So it's kind of like a side effect that's Mm -hmm. um, really beneficial all the way around. So I love that. Hey friend, I'm interrupting this episode for just a sec to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Greenhouse Megastore. After a ton of research last year, as we were trying to figure out how on earth to build a greenhouse that could withstand our harsh Wyoming weather, we stumbled across Greenhouse Megastore and they were a game changer. Not only do they have an incredible number of greenhouse kits, ranging from large to small and everything in between, they also carry low tunnels, cold frames, hoop houses, shade cloth, and even easy to ship polycarbonate panels, that's the greenhouse plastic panel, if you wanna build your own structure from scratch. If you're looking to extend your growing season and grow more food this year, they will be your go-to resource. Head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash greenhouse to shop and be sure to use code homestead when you check out to save 10% on your order. Plus, all orders over 99 bucks ship for free. Now, back to our episode. Um, are there any foods that you just never buy in bulk or you, you know, you've maybe tried it and you thought, you thought this doesn't work, it doesn't last as well as I thought, any things to avoid? Yeah, definitely. I mentioned before you want to avoid brown rice in bulk, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's um, it has a higher oil content than your white rices. So it, you know, isn't going to last you very long at all. But in that same vein, any um, high oil products like nuts are typically going to go rancid before you're going to go through large quantities of them, unless you have like freezer or fridge space to, to keep them in. Um, so yeah, I avoid, if I'm going to buy nuts, I typically stick to five pound quantities or 10 pound quantities, 25 pounds of nuts. You're going to have to be eating them <laughs> daily. <A lot> of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I also avoid pre-ground flowers um, in large quantities because as I mentioned before, the closer you get to the natural um, grain, the whole grain, the longer it's going to store. Anytime you start breaking apart the the coating of that seed, you know, the coating of the the wheat berry or the the corn Mm -hmm. and grind it down, the oils start to mix together and it's going to go rancid a lot faster. So 
um, yeah, I would avoid, avoid the corn flowers, avoid the wheat flowers and just stick to the whole, the whole grains. Yes. Great advice. What are your thoughts on dry beans? Because I've stored quantities of dry beans and I've had some last many, many years. And I've had others go to that point where they don't ever soften. Have you ever had that yeah. happen? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh my goodness. Well, now what? What are yeah. how, how do you handle the bean situation? Beans are another thing that we're not big bean eaters because we grow a lot of other protein sources. We, we try to add them to our diet, <laughs> but um, we do keep some on hand, but that's another one that I typically try to buy in 10 pound quantities um, because we're more likely to go through those before they're going to go bad and beans won't ever go bad. You can still eat them. The, just the flavor and the texture and the cook time are going to be way off there. You're just going to have to cook them <laughs> forever to get them. To soften. So, yeah. yeah. And that, so that's one of those things. If you are buying beans for, to store, you know, for longer than six months or a year, I would definitely look into the oxygen absorbers to help, you know, with some of that degradation of the, of the beans. Yes. Yeah. yes. Great idea on that. Okay. Um, where do you get your best deals on bulk foods? Do you have any well, tricks for that? Yes. I, I mentioned before Azure standard and, um, there are other food co-ops out there too, but I've found really great prices there. Um, so we, we do a lot of food co-ops, bulk stores, um, around us, we have a lot of Amish bulk stores, but I've seen other, other kinds of bulk stores. And a lot of times they may sell like the Amish stores, for example, they buy things in 50 pound quantities and then they pre-package them for you into smaller quantities to sell you at a good price. But if you go to the owner of that store and you ask them if they would be willing to purchase you a 50 pound bag at their wholesale price and then just mark it up whatever they feel is appropriate, you can often get good deals that way as well. Um, so I like to do that a lot. Yeah. I like, I yeah, I like the idea of, of, finding those local bulk, bulk stores if you can, because then you're not paying for the shipping. Um, and for those of you listening, if you don't, you don't have to have seven kids. You don't have to be a homesteader. Just buying in bulk, even in less than 50 pound quantities, it's going to save you a lot of money. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm always surprised, you know, sometimes I'm just used to my routine and used to other homestead friends, our routine of grocery <laughs> buying, just to see how the rest of the world buys like one banana at a time. And, one <laughs> of toilet paper, and I'm always like, what are you guys doing? Like, um, we only have three children. So a lot smaller family than you guys, but we still, I mean, we probably buy, like we have 15 kids just cause mm -hmm. I buy in bulk and it saves money. And it also saves that time of not having to go to the store and not having to think like it, mm -hmm. it, um, batches my brain power of planning grocery trips and food stuff. So it just saves, saves everything, time, money, resources, all the, all that. Yeah. I mean, it saves you, it saves you money on the bulk product. It also saves you money because you're in the grocery store, less, less impulse buying. Yeah. Um, and then there's an environmental factor to it. It's just often when you're buying things in larger quantities, there's less waste produce it produced because, you know, you have one large package instead of 10 small packages that you're going through. And Absolutely. So yeah, overall, yeah. I just, yeah, it's a good, good thing. <laughs> it is. And for those of you not familiar with Azure standard, I think I have mentioned them on the podcast before, but they are a co-op and they're available. Are they most of the U.S. now, aren't they? Or is it still yes, limited? They just expanded routes, I believe, up through the Northeast for a while. I think that was the last area that they were trying to get to. But I believe they're in the process of or just began routes up through okay. that area. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, we use them as well. They're my my truck comes, our drop is at our house. It's actually going to be here in like a half hour. <laughs> so oh, wow. That's so day. nice. <laughs> it's so nice. Um, but 
for those of you who are interested in Azure, I highly, highly recommend them. Um, they have great organic options, great bulk options, and have a, there's a lot of options, just a lot of variety. You just have to go on their website and look for a drop near you. And yes. there's odds are there'll be something in your area or something not too far away and you can sign up and then you place your order and it comes once a month and you just meet the truck and pick it up. So mm -hmm. it's a really good option. And um, yeah, I, I love our Azure order. I look forward to yeah. it. Yeah, even if there isn't a drop near you, for, for me, I have to drive an hour away to get to my drop, but it still is worth it for the discounts that I get. And I have yeah. several families that live in my area and will often take turns driving up to get each other's orders. Yeah. Um, it splits the gas cost and, and is really helpful. So just because they don't have a drop in your area doesn't mean um, you can't find a way to make it work and exactly. still save yeah. the money. Going with friends, there's always people around that seem to be excited to have the option as well. So you can make it a community deal. Well, that going in with friends, that was kind of how we started on bulk food buying. We started buying in bulk when we only had two children, um, but I wanted those prices. I wanted the yeah. bulk prices because yeah. per pound or per ounce or whatever, you get so much, you know, such a better deal at 50 pounds versus five pounds. And so we would go in with other families. We had one family in particular where you know, they only wanted 25 pounds and we only wanted 25, but we bought the 50 pounds together and would split it. And so that's a great way to save money if you don't need you know, the huge quantities. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that idea. Okay. Let's talk about bugs. Yeah. <laughs> what do oh. you do with, you know, for bug prevention, pest oh, prevention in your storage? And what do you do if they get in and it's, like you find the weevils or whatever. Oh my goodness. I've had some bad experiences. You know, no one warned me when I first started bulk food buying years ago that this was even a thing, <laughs> but you know, apparently the, the bugs lay their eggs inside the grain. So even if it looks great and there's no bugs in it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you don't get it home. And then two weeks later, all of a sudden they're there. Yeah, there they are. <laughs> and so I remember I had been storing bulk grains for three years and never had an issue. And then I opened up a container once and it was crawling with weevils. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how did they get in here? And, um, and then it became quite an issue. So I guess I'll start with, what do you do if you find the weevils? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's going to depend on your comfort level and how far gone the situation is. You know, if it's just a few that you find, you might be able to salvage um, the grains. If it's rice or things like that, you can actually rinse them and then dry them again and put them back in storage. Or if you're not comfortable with that, chickens love yep. bugs and they love grain. So <laughs> good combo. <laughs> it's a good combo. They love that too. But um, you're going to want to, however you decide to handle the grain situation, you're going to want to thoroughly clean out your container, wipe it down both inside and out. Um, you're going to want to clean the shelf or the pantry area that it was in, sweep it if it's like a closet that's carpeted, because those little eggs could be anywhere. And um, yeah, so after it's thoroughly cleaned, then when you start over refilling your buckets, a couple preventative measures can, can prevent this from happening in the future. So for me, whenever I bring my bulk foods home, if it's any kind of grain, um, even spices, even things like sugar can, can get weevils in them. Um, put it in the freezer for a minimum of three days and that will kill any live insects. Um, what I've recently learned though, is that doesn't necessarily kill the eggs or the larva. <laughs> so what, uh, what I've read since now is that you need to, um, pull that item out of the freezer, let it thaw for a day or two. And if you're, if this is something you're going to be 
storing without an oxygen absorber in your pantry, I would stick it back after you've let it thaw for a day, put it back in the freezer then to kill the next cycle of, um, of pests. So you're letting them kind of hatch or get them, get them developing and then you're going to zap them. Right. Because there, there's a life cycle. And so freezing is only going to kill them in the adult form. And so we recently had a situation where that happened. (laughs) I'd frozen everything and then brought it out. I'm like, how, how are there there weevils in this? But apparently I read that that it doesn't kill the eggs. So, um, but there are other things you can do. Um, if you put some bay leaves in the, um, the bucket that will deter some pests. Um, and if you're putting it on pantry shelves, you can stick cloves, even, um, garlic cloves, but I was talking cloves, the, the spice cloves, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but garlic cloves would work too. Um, that deters pests, even rosemary to stick some of that, um, on the shelves and that will keep them away. I wouldn't advise putting the cloves or the rosemary in with your grains because you might get a taste issue for sure. Um, but bay leaves are safe for that. Yeah. So, um, that's for your everyday food storage. Now, if you're doing long-term food storage and you're going to go with the mylar bags and the oxygen absorbers, the pests are not going to survive in that environment without the oxygen. So you don't really have to have to worry about it that way. Yeah. So that's just, yeah, that's just the, the weevil situation. Now there's other pests that you have to worry about with food storage and, you know, there's things like mice and, um, and other kinds of pests like that. And that's why I always say, you know, don't leave your grain bags in the paper bag in your closet. It'd be very easy for something to chew through that. And honestly, um, if you're going to put something in a plastic bucket and just stick it in an area and forget about it for a few years, you mice can chew through plastic even. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, just be careful to check your food storage every now and then to look for indicators that that could be a problem. If you see chew marks or whatever, you're going to want to want to check on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would was be made Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, you're, you're fine. You're good. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes there's a delay and it's hard to, yeah. Um, I was talking to someone the other day and they said that they have five gallon buckets and we have a lot of mice in our basement. We use the old house mm-hmm. and we just, you know, you yep. do what you can, but you can't get rid of all of them. And I, if I leave a, a burlap bag or a plastic bag down there for more than a night, mm-hmm. there you have it chewed through. So I have to yeah. be really careful with that. But I was thinking I was pretty good with the buckets, but somebody was telling me the other day that they have their mice working on their five gallon buckets, just like yeah. trying to get right in. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have never had that happen, but it apparently it does happen. Yeah. And I mean, it would take a while for them to get through it, but if they're working yeah. and working at it. So yeah, always go down and, and assess your storage every now and then, and just make sure there's no signs of things like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, the five gallon buckets, if you have like a gamma lid on top, that isn't completely um, sealed. I found that even mm-hmm. some bugs, if they're small enough, can get up, up through there. So um, long-term food storage, that's why it's really important to put it in that mylar bag that's sealed up so that nothing can touch it. Cause there's nothing more disheartening. You put all of this time and effort and money into this food storage and you go down and it's, you know, chewed through or there's bugs in it. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. the worst. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so just, yeah, a little prevention and hopefully it'll keep all the critters away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as we wrap up, if, if someone is feeling inspired and they're ready to start building out their pantry, what is your best bit of advice for getting started? Like sometimes it can feel overwhelming when they hear us talk about all these different options. Like what would you say someone should start with first? Absolutely. Um, 
when I first started bulk buying, I, we didn't have money in our food budget to just go out and buy everything that we wanted. You know, I had to allocate a certain amount of our monthly grocery budget to our bulk food buying. And so what I would do is pick maybe one grain each month and it would be the grain that we're eating the most of. So I think in the beginning it was like oats mm-hmm. and, you know, I bought one 50 pound bag of that, or at the time we were splitting it with friends. Um, and then I would buy one, um, baking supply maybe that we needed and add that to our cart and maybe one spice because we buy our, our, our spices in bulk too. And then every month I just do a different one. And after six, seven, eight months goes by, you have a nice little, you know, bulk food storage situation going and, and then it's easy because it's spread out throughout the year. You're not running out of everything at the same time also. So, you know, it kind of spreads that cost throughout the year and future years as well, as long as you're working through the food and eating it. Yeah. I like the idea of one, one at a time that feels doable. I I think more than just, you know, spending thousands of dollars in fell swoop, that could be a lot for a budget all at once. Right. Yeah. And so I always, I always tell people start with what you're going to eat. Don't be like me and buy 50 pounds of sorghum that you're not going to eat. (laughs) You know, think about what your family goes through the most of that obviously makes the most sense to, to start with. And then you can kind of work from there and get a working pantry going first, you know, the foods that you're going to be eating off of. And then once you've got that filled, you can start focusing on the long-term food storage that you can keep there for, you know, emergency situations or, right. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Good advice. And then, yeah. And then you have to be intentional. Like I said, about setting a time every year, um, to go through the food because it, it will go rancid. Um, you know, ideal, food storage we mentioned would, would be in a root cellar where you have temperature control and it's dark. But if you're keeping these things in your kitchen, they are going to, um, degrade much faster. And so if you're not going to be using that stuff up within a year, it it is going to go bad. (laughs) They, you know, they, they say it's just like with seeds for every 10 degrees that you drop the temperature in the storage environment, you extend, you double the shelf life. And so, you know, stuff's sitting out here at 70 degrees in my kitchen. Um, you know, it's not going to last as long as it would be at 50 degrees down in a cellar. And so I really need to be intentional about eating this up before it goes bad. So, yeah. yeah. And that's what, that's probably another reason why you split the way you do not just space, but also just to keep right cooler while the others are easy access, but would degrade quicker in large quantities. It definitely. In the kitchen. Yeah, definitely. Well, this has been awesome, Jessica. Can you let everybody know where they can find you online if they want to check out what you and your family do around your homestead? Yes, we're on Instagram at Three Rivers Homestead and also have a YouTube channel uh, by the same name. And I'm just there trying to share encouragement for um, for moms that are living this homesteading, um, homeschooling life. And every August we do a challenge called the Every Bit counts challenge where we try to encourage people to just put something up into their food storage every day could be as little as just, you know, a couple items that you dehydrate or as much as a, you know, big batch of canning. Um, and then every winter, as I mentioned, when I do my pantry challenge, I encourage people to join us there. We call it the three rivers challenge and everybody follows along and we encourage one another in trying to use up our food stores and come up with creative ways to do that and share our meals. So yeah, if you join us there. We'd love to have you and encourage you to, to do the same. I love it. 
Well, thank you again for coming on. Um, this was so good. It was so fun to chat about this because there was definitely questions I had that um, it's nice to talk to somebody who knows. So I appreciate all your wisdom. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. So everybody, make sure you go check out Jessica and her family. They have some great content and this, those challenges sound amazing. So have a look over there. And as always, if you want to keep up with me in between podcast episodes, you can find me over at The Prairie Homestead on Instagram and theprairiehomestead.com on the web. And that's it for today. Happy homesteading friends. And we'll catch up on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. <laughs>